Tonight's first story is called The Zombie Apocalypse Has Begun. Written by Cat the Kickass on R slash No Sleep. Each night I have to put my son down. He's five now, but he won't go to sleep without me. Every night I have to walk him to bed, read him a story, and kiss him goodnight. Each time I close the door, I pray he won't wake up. Don't get me wrong, I love him. I love him so much more than I ever thought possible before he was born. But when I saw him, when I held him, I fell in love. And I would do anything to protect him. Which is why I wish he wouldn't wake up. If he just slept, slept forever and ever, that he wouldn't have to see tomorrow. See the future. I've seen it. Seen it in his dull eyes, and the corpses and the blood in the streets. And I know. I know he will not survive. He will be destroyed. Be ended. Or become the monster. Because the zombie apocalypse has begun. It has begun in my town. My town of less than 3,000 people. And it won't end here. It will spread. It has already spread to the surrounding towns. To the nearest cities. While the world hasn't been hit yet. Maybe the world doesn't even know yet. It will. It will know so, so soon. But for now, it is here. And for now, I fear for my son. I fear for him and my wife and our daughter. Each night, I stay awake in the living room, listening to the thumps and claws and screams outside. I sit with my gun and my baseball bat. Cliché, I know. But I have nothing else. I didn't quite plan for the end of the world. Sorry. Each night, I fall asleep when the sun rises. It scares me when that happens, but I can't stay awake longer. And they don't move in the sun, thankfully. I'm not sure why. I don't know if they burn like a vampire, if they just can't move or can't think. I just know they do not move in the sun. And that when I watch out the window as the sun starts creeping out, they all flee. Not that we go outside in the sun either. While safe, it's not perfect. Stepping into a shadow is like taking your life in your own hands. And nobody wants to risk that in case one of them is brave. That they're trying to lure us out. And so we stay in the dark like them. I sleep all day. Though I know my wife and daughter are awake. They sleep all night. Afraid of the screams and the terror in the dark. My son sleeps with me, though. Though I put him to rest at night. Shortly after dawn each day he awakens me only to crawl into my arms and sleep beside me. How he is so tired I do not understand, but I will not question his love. I only fear for the women in my life, so afraid of everything that they rarely even come downstairs. Sometimes I'm afraid they're sick, afraid the screams in the dark are theirs, and that I will not know better, that I will wake up and see blood on them. I'm afraid it will belong to my son. But they aren't, and they won't be. Because I will protect us in the dark. As my body rots and my desire for their flesh grows stronger, I will lay my son into his grave each night, and we will survive.
I'll be honest, the thing that, uh, so I've always loved the idea of zombies and uh, just like, I, I love the idea of a zombie apocalypse when I was younger. I think a lot of people have that like weird obsession with zombie apocalypses when they're younger. Um, but I noticed when I became a dad, the idea of a zombie apocalypse became a hell of a lot less appealing, at least to actually live through. I still love to read about them and 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 write about them, but I wouldn't want to actually live through one anymore because, uh, yeah, just trying to like keep kids alive in a normal <laughs> environment is pretty rough. I can only imagine trying to keep uh, like my youngest is two years old, trying to keep him alive during a zombie apocalypse, I think would be damn near impossible. All right. Tonight's second story is called Do You Believe in Zombies by Aizanagi the God on r slash no sleep. Do you believe in zombies? Of course you don't. You are no fool. But I recommend you trust me and hear me out. This is both a warning and a lesson for humanity. The concept of zombies has been twisted and reformed over the decades with slow-moving vessels of flesh to infected and enraged individuals who seek blood. But one that has really been touched upon is the more subtle definition. The art of one becoming brain-dead. No desires, no needs. Taking away what makes one human. Why do I bring this up? Because it is very real. Over a decade ago, a small organization had a thought one that has surely passed the minds of other people who wish to cause chaos. But the difference is that these specific people struck the fine balance between brilliant and psychotic required to actually attempt it. And succeed for that matter. How, you ask? Well, putting years worth of extensive experiments into a couple paragraphs wouldn't quite do it justice. But one word does come to mind when describing it. Hypnosis. The first thought in your head is probably an eccentric old bat with a metronome and pocket watch. But it goes far beyond that. It is an art form more than it's a gimmick. And they're those who have practiced this their entire lives, who made this dream a reality. It took a very short amount of time. But the first ten victims were under control of this group, to where they could essentially turn the person off and on. Brain dead, or their normal self. The thing about being brain dead is that losing your needs means you simply don't care for the vital things needed for survival. Ironically, being the opposite of zombies we're used to, food and water are lost in your mind, and you will die a slow and painful death without ever knowing why. The strongest weapon a terrorist group could ever have. Why shoot and bomb the enemy when we let them kill themselves? Not with violence, but with the lack of functionality to survive. They had these ten initial victims but the trick was how to spread it. That's where the brilliance really shined. After years of perfecting it, they managed to pass on the hypnotism with the victim in a very delicate way. By having someone believe that the hypnotized was not only a real person, but actually growing emotional bonds to that person. This caused the hypnotism to pass along, almost as if accepting the zombies as a real human being was accepting the hypnotism itself. Don't ask me exactly how it works. I don't know, nor do I care. I'm far more focused on my safety along with all of yours. They had over 14,000 under their control until someone managed to find them out, whether it was a mole or someone who was too terrified of what they created. Luckily, each victim's name and location was filed in the organization's database, so various governments from different nations managed to find and round up each and every one of them in complete secrecy, kidnapping them from their families or workplaces aside from just a few who managed to escape. 
You see, the trick to all of it is that over time they perfected their technique. At the very beginning, you had to feel something strong, such as love for Zombie, until the hypnotism was passed along to you. But as the years went on, they got very good at what they do. Simple emotions such as hatred, jealousy, and most useful of all, trust. You may think to yourself, why trust? Nobody trusts each other anymore since everyone is so selfish. But when the crying five-year-old child comes to you with battered clothes saying that daddy hit mommy again, but she stopped moving this time, not only do you trust what this child is saying, you feel a personal obligation to help him not only find a safe place, but to make sure he never sees that horror again. You feel for it, and now you're a victim. But we've evolved since then. Even now, the amount of trust can be so small before you join us, like believing that I'm actually a human. Believing that I'm trying to help you. Coming into this specific subreddit with the belief that each story holds a semblance of truth to it. You considered me being normal a truth, and you've long been one of us since that subconscious thought formed in your head. I feel no different, just a guy writing a story to get in my head. But that's the magic of it. You won't feel different until we decide that your country needs to disappear. Because remember, you don't believe in zombies. And that's our greatest strength. Alright, our last story is called I Was Trying to Stop the Zombie Apocalypse Not Start It by N.S. Lewis from r slash no sleep I'm trying not to panic but it's hard because purple slime has been slowly oozing out of my eyeballs for the past hour searing my cheeks like acid My name is Brendan Pierce and I've either just saved the world or doomed it The horrible ocular discharge could, after all be merely a side effect of the vaccine, like a slight fever after a flu shot. Or, it could be a sign that I'm infected with a supercharged version of the virus of my own making that turned my best friend into a puddle of bubbling slime. Aaron's horrific death was also my doing. I thought it'd be funny to make him eat some tainted cantaloupe. I just thought it would taste bad, because it smelled so awful, like meat left out for weeks. Crawling like a parasitic worm, I guess now that I write it out like that, I should have known. I should have known that Aaron's belly would have become distended as his, his organs and then bones melted away from the inside until the pressure built so much that his stomach burst open and it poured all over onto the floor. If I could go back in time, there's so much I'd change. The cantaloupe thing for starters. I'd also try to convince my former boss that his quest for a formula to make unperishable bananas, while certainly a cool idea was not worth creating a super virus with the potential to wipe out humanity. And it also changed everything I did after Aaron's death. If I could go back in time, but I can't change the past. I can only recount it. And now, as the slime starts to ooze out of my nose and burns my lips, I have to admit that I have screwed up on a global scale. And I don't have much time to tell you that I have doomed humanity for the worst death imaginable. Maybe somebody will be able to do something to save the world. But, as small insects dripping in a purple slime start to push their way out of the pores of my arm, I know that it's not going to be me. After Aaron's death, I had a breakdown. I became convinced that the virus had been unwittingly created in the lab, was going to spread throughout the world and affect everyone on the planet. I couldn't sleep. I had waking nightmares. Visions of standing in a crowded street as everyone around me became brain-dead zombies, 
and slowly turned to face me with outstretched arms. Then they started popping, like grotesque pimples, overripe with the deadly virus. Visions of men eating the flesh of men, of scorched earth, of rotten bananas, all swirling around in my head as a valley of death and terror. I had to do something. I had to stop my nightmares from coming true. I still had my notes in the lab where the terrible thing was spawned. I used those notes to carefully recreate the virus in a makeshift lab that I set up in my basement in the hopes of being able to use it as a vaccine. I went, I now understand, overboard. Rather than creating a small batch of the virus, I made enough serum to fill dozens of empty industrial waste drums. I was convinced that the world was in peril, and I needed enough vaccine to protect everyone. Still, I decided to experiment on the vaccine itself before I tampered with the bulk of the deadly serum. My first attempt to make the vaccine was to use radiation to kill the active agents in the virus. I'll admit that I didn't know exactly what the active agents were, but I figured that radiation would certainly kill them. As it turns out, I was terribly wrong. But at the time, I thought I was right. And so I made up enough vaccine to fill a large syringe, which I carried with me everywhere I went, waiting for the perfect opportunity. I knew that if I just kept my eyes open long enough, I would find somebody infected with the virus. I knew that it had already started to spread throughout the world, and that only I could stop it. And sure enough, one day while I was waiting at a subway stop, I saw somebody spontaneously explode in a woman. An unmistakable symptom of the virus. I never got a good opportunity to inject this woman with a potential vaccine, as a team of dangerous-looking people in hazmat suits swooped in and sent me running. But I did follow her and watch her have lunch with her secret boyfriend. I could also see the virus being transmitted across the lunch table from the woman to the man, so I followed him home and snuck up behind him. I was terrified myself as I jammed the needle in the side of his head and then ducked around behind a car. He looked around in confusion, no doubt wondering why the hell there was suddenly a stabbing pain in his brain. But it worked, and after standing dumbfounded for a few moments, he went inside. Now all I had to do was observe him for a bit and make sure that he didn't show any symptoms of the virus. I climbed up a tree and watched him through a window of his apartment. Things did not proceed as I hoped. The man's fingers began to grow into different bizarre items. Like pencils that you could see trying to poke through a translucent layer of skin. The man's actual girlfriend kept cutting those weird fingers off, but they kept growing back. Now his keys, now his baseball bats. I was horrified by what I was seeing, and by the knowledge that rather than curing the man of virus, I had simply mutated into something even more terrible. Radiating the virus is not advised. I wrote that down in my notebook. The nightmares didn't stop. My initial failure to create a vaccine was discouraging, but the sense of urgency to succeed grew greater and greater as I went further and further off the deep end. I stayed inside for days on end, talking to myself berating myself for failing. I kept working. If radiation didn't kill the active agent of the virus, then maybe heat would. So I set to work, boiling a sample of serum with scorching heat until I was sure that the active agent was dead. There were warning signs that I ignored. The vaccine wouldn't stop bubbling, for instance, even after it had been stored in a deep freezer overnight. Somewhere along the line, the guilt and terror became too much for my psyche to bear and I so became the chosen one. I felt my brain crackle with electric energy 
and became convinced that I was destined to save humanity, and that there was no possibility of failure. Thinking back, I am horrified at how completely I broke with reality, but at the time, it was a defense mechanism to keep me going through the constant nightmares. I realized it was impractical for me to go around injecting everyone with new vaccine myself. It would be much better if I could infuse it into objects that would transmit it through people's skin on contact. Then I could send the object out into the world in bulk. I settled on a necklace. I boiled the necklace and the vaccine until all the solution was gone from the pot and infused in the necklace. Then, I carefully packaged up the necklace. I never touched it directly myself, of course, just in case. After all, I thought I was the chosen one and way too important to lose. I set the package in a random one's stoop and settled into some bushes to observe. And what I observed was so terrible that the horror began to seep through the cracks of my invented ego. The woman went inside and put on the necklace. The necklace began acting strange, and the woman began acting stranger. I told myself that it was just harmless side effects of the vaccine. But when the woman took the first bite out of her boyfriend's heart, I had to look away or risk giving in to total despair. Heating the virus is not advised. I wrote that in my notebook. I have been experimenting with different chemical cocktails that might render the serum from a deadly virus into a world-saving vaccine. This time, I decided to experiment on mice instead of men. Each time a mouse exploded, I felt more and more sure that I was destined to save the world. Looking back now, when understanding has come too late, it's clear I had lost my mind almost entirely. The event that made me lose my mind 100% all the way happened when I was driving back from the store with more supplies. I was driving down a street in the suburb when I saw a very bizarre sight. A man was going around and mowing a lawn that had already been mowed as four uniformed police officers also performed redundant landscaping tasks. I felt a renewed sense of terror as I pulled off to the side of the road to observe. This is it, I thought. It's happening. A tan car came screeching down the road and went barreling through the yard that was getting excessively manicured. The car crashed into an apple tree, and a woman in a gas mask and plastic poncho jumped out of it. She pulled out a large blaster and proceeded to reduce the lawnmower man the four police officers into puddles of goo. That's when my mind broke completely. There's no more time for fucking around, I thought. The chosen one must have faith and act immediately. I tore out of there and back home. I went down to the basement and looked at the stockpile of untreated virus. If radiating it didn't work, and heating it didn't work, and adding more chemicals didn't work, then the obvious answer was to radiate it and heat it and add a shitload of chemicals. That had to work. Or so I thought my completely diluted state. I proceeded to do just that. Not to a small test sample, but to the entire stock. I was, again, convinced that both I had to act immediately and that I couldn't fail. But now, the virus had worked its way to my brain and eaten away my psychic defenses. I see now that not only was my failure possible, any idiot could have seen it coming. I rented a U-Haul and had been traveling the country for the past week dumping my vaccine into all the major water supplies that I can. It happened at the Colorado River Aqueduct, which supplies water to much of Southern California. I dumped an entire 100-gallon drum of the serum in there, which I calculated was enough to inoculate the entire state of California, let alone the southern part, against the virus. Assuming that the vaccine would do that, which I thought it would. I had gone three days without sleep, 
and was letting out a yawn when a gust of wind blew some of the serum that I was pouring out back into my open mouth. Of all the strains of virus that I've seen, the variation that I created in my state of megalomania appears to be the very worst. My skin is on fire as purple slime oozes out of it. Bugs and worms are crawling out of every hole in my body, no matter how small. A tentacle has emerged from my throat and is feeling around in the air, hungry. I am, uh, so hungry. And I know that what I'm hungry for, too. Somehow, I'm hungry for people. At first, I was terrified. I was worried that I would explode. I'm still terrified, but the feeling is subsiding. This is who I am now. Part of me is still screaming in protest against this, but the screams are getting choked out. I am becoming a zombie of a kind worse than I have ever imagined possible. And soon, so will you. Not immediately. But as municipal water processing is almost agonizingly slow, but sooner than you think, and all I can do is tell you not to drink the water. I am so, so sorry. And hungry. So, so hungry. That one was a little more interesting than the second story. Um, it was crazy, but it was like fun crazy. Uh, you ever seen the show Z Nation? That, to me, that's a show that's a lot of fun to watch because it 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 follows all the zombie tropes, but it does it in a fun way. It's a little goofy. It has no problem being strange, which I appreciate. But that's all the stories I have for tonight. I hope you enjoyed them. I love reading zombie stories, so maybe if I could find some more that are interesting. These were just, yeah, if I can find more that are interesting, we'll check them out. But until next time, always remember to face your fears.